Good morning, church. It's marvelous to be with you, and Happy New Year to you all. If you are just joining us, you're just visiting with us today, just want to warn you, Patrick will be back next week. always hate being the guy that's speaking. Some people literally come uh, in church, like every week we get the visitor's card. I came to hear Patrick. If you did, I apologize. He'll be back next week. Um, I, I do want to say this, honestly, though, if, if you haven't been here for his leadership. I, I love, I say this all the time to him and about him, I love not just that Patrick preaches well, he is incredibly gifted in that, but he leads even better. And so if you're just joining us, you're just kind of checking out churches here, I can honestly say one of the things I love so much about this church, our shepherds and our senior minister protect this place to be a safe place to come just as you are, no matter where you've come from, no matter where you've been, it's about Jesus here, not the name on the building and not the people on the stage. And so I celebrate that with Patrick, with our leaders. So if you're just joining us, welcome. I want to know that you're welcome here. Can we begin just by the reading of the text that we're going to talk about today? And we're going to do a little bit and get into it. Our text is from Luke chapter 5. I don't have it up here because I just want us to hear it. But if you want to follow on, you can follow along in your Bibles or on your phone. Luke chapter 1, chapter 5, verse 1. Once while Jesus was standing beside the lake of Gennesaret, we know as the Sea of Galilee, and the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he saw two boats there at the shore of the lake. The fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, asking him to put out a little way from the shore. Then he sat down, And taught the crowds from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked all night and have caught nothing. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done this, they caught so many fish that their nets were beginning to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And then they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching people. When they had brought their boats to shore, they left everything and followed him. Pray with me. Fathers, the psalmist prayed so long ago, I pray today. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. There's one simple thing that's kind of fascinated people for a long time. It's really shaped our culture for a long time. I don't know if you've thought about this. But it shapes our culture more than you know. It's a simple, the simple power of a personal interview. I don't know if you've thought about this before. But almost everything we do is shaped in our culture and our lives by interviewing other people. Uh, that's true in the entertainment industry. That's true in the sports industry. It's true in politics and all of that. And, and whether or not you know this guy or are familiar with this guy, one of the best interviewers in the history of this country is a guy named James Lipton. Has anybody heard this guy before? For a long time, he did a show called Inside the Actor's Studio that comes from a class that he teaches drama students. I didn't realize this show is still on. I haven't seen it in a long time. It's actually still on. He retired in 2014. 
but he's had over 300 actors and producers and artists of different kinds on and interviewed them, and he's known for doing extensive research. You can see kind of the stack of cards. I almost, but I made myself behave a little bit, put up the picture of Will Ferrell, who just does a great parody of him, and he's got a stack of the, the blue cards, right? So it's like Albert with the blue card, prayer cards, right? He's got them on the desk, and, and he digs into research and then interviews them, but he's best known for the way the show always ends. He ends with what he calls 10 questions. And, and, and I want you to think for a moment, how would you answer the first two questions he always asks? He always starts with these first two questions. I want you to think for a second, how would you answer his first two questions? What is your favorite word? And what is your least favorite word? By the way, as you're thinking about this, remember we're in church, okay? So this is G-rated today. He does have one, what's your favorite cuss word? We won't talk about that one. What's your favorite word? What's your least favorite word? So some people, when they come on the show, they're playful. And so Will Smith, it was anti-disestablishmentarianism, right? Because he just wanted to be fun, right? Uh, I think about in our family, I, I was blown away that, that our son David still remembered this. Christine, I didn't ask you if you still remember. When our kids were little, just because we're geeks, we looked up the longest word in the English language. Anybody know what it is? David, do you remember it? I'm going to try to say it. You can go check this with David. Numana ultramicroscopic silicovulcanoconiosis. Longest word in the English language. Did I get it right? I want you to challenge my son, by the way. David, raise your hand. After this is over, not now, go ask him to spell it. He can. It's pretty cool. <laughs> All right? Yes, we're geeks and weird. So some people take a playful word. Others, it's like peace. It's a good harmonious word. All right, I'm going to trust you to do this with me because I want this to be community. It is. Let's feel that for a moment. I want you to take 30 seconds and answer these two questions with somebody next to you. Take 30 seconds. And I'll bring this out. 30 seconds. Favorite word, least favorite word. Ready? Go. All right, let's hear some of them. Anybody hear one that was pretty cool or you really like your particular word? It's okay, we can talk in here. Somebody, what's your favorite word? What? Serenity? Oh, that's a good one. That's a good one. I love that one. Some others? Love. Did you know? Okay, number one, over the 300 interviews, number one, not surprising. Number one favorite word is love. By the way, can anybody guess number one least favorite? Yes, absolutely. Go back to your channel, your inner two-year-old. No, which, so now if you get that one, you can guess the number two most favorite. If no is negative, yes, we love yes. Any other, what are, what are some others, quick? Onomatopoeia, yes, that was one of them. It just sounds good, doesn't it? Somebody else said ubiquitous. Not a very common word, ironically, but it is, some of you got that, but it's a fun one, right? Others, others, favorite, least favorite. Favorite word is prayer. Isn't that great in this place? Of course. Albert, yes, you fit, fit that in. Some others, can you guess some of the other top, top five, top ones, top five ones comes? Grace. Isn't that amazing? It's pretty cool to me. I think it was the number three most popular word in 300 interviews. It shows that we haven't spoiled everything with our churches, right? We've made some words, stained glass words, and we spoil them. Haven't spoiled grace, right? Uh, believe it or not, no, and I think Patrick would like this. He tells us all the time, no is a spiritual word. That's also one of the favorite words. I mean, uh, uh, favorite words, even though it's the least favorite. 
Uh, and I'm kind of warned by this. You've got to remember a lot of them are talking about their kids and stuff. They're, they're questioning. Another one of the questions, what's your favorite sound? Most common answer to that is my children's voices. So maybe it's not a surprise to hear dad or daddy is a favorite word too. I suspect, let's be honest, that may be on the least favorite list for some too. And that's okay, right? All right, here's why I want to think about this. This actually matters to the text we're looking at. For me, one of my favorite words, and I think it's one of our favorite concepts really in human nature, is a word I guarantee you've said this week. In fact, you probably said it a little after 12 o'clock on Tuesday. What, can you guess what word that is? Happy what? New year. I love the word new. I love the word. I love when things are new. This is one of the reasons, there's lots of reasons, but there's one of the reasons I can almost never finish a book because I love shiny new books. Okay, I love them. And so I'll start reading. It's really cool. But the problem is what? There's another one over there. It's not new forever, and then I want another new one, and I go follow that, right? I love new things. And isn't it true that there's something about just the turning of the calendar from one year to the next, or in this case, from one decade to the next, that is just refreshing for human beings? I love new. Now, here's the thing I want to think about for a moment. I heard somebody um, uh, remind me of the fact that in the Jewish faith, for thousands of years, they bring in their new year in part by reflecting on the past year. And what they'll do, and they call it the Day of Atonement, they come in and they don't just go into the new, they think about what they want to leave behind in the old. Now that, we all do this to some degree, right? And so they come and they think about giving their brokenness and their failure and their sins, and they offer that up to God, they celebrate the new and go into the year. I think that's a helpful way to think about it. In fact, I want to give an image with us today. I want you to think about this with me. Imagine this, this bowl. I think it's kind of pretty. I like the color. Imagine this bowl is our expectations, our hopes, our dreams, maybe even the word we, we use a lot this time, our resolution, what we want to bring into the new year. You got a picture of that? This is what we're carrying into it. And, and whenever we come to a new year, we're excited about what we have in the bowl, right? You picture that. When we come to the new year, imagine all of these things. But of course, when I think about that, I think about last year and the same bowl and the expectations I had. Here's the reality. We know this, right? Whatever you fill this bowl with, your hopes, your dreams, your plans, your resolutions, you carry it into the year like this, and what do you think happens? Somewhere around January or February. What happens to this? Well, I want to visualize it here a little bit. Thank Gary for this. I was going to make it easier, but he, the teacher in him said, go ahead and do it. we come into a new year, we come in with all these hopes, dreams, and expectations, but before long, we know it looks like this. Now here, now, it's not a downer, follow me on this. One of the reasons I love this church, is not just true in the new year, on every, any given week, we own the fact that we walk in the room like this. You hear what I'm saying? We don't have it all put together. We are broken, we have edges to us, we have scars. What do you do with all of that when you come into a new year? And I wonder if there's something in this passage. Is there a word from God for those of us who come into these spaces? Not just a new year. If you're like me, I wake up this way in life. I bring my brokenness. I bring my scars everywhere I go. Is there a word 
from God for people like that. Here's what I want to say. In this story, by the way, this story we get is in the beginning for Luke. It's the new year. Literally, if you look in the chapter before, Jesus preaches his new year sermon. That's what he announces, the new year of God, the jubilee, the freedom year is coming in. And so this is one of the first things Luke, in his telling of the story, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, four gospels, good news, tellings of the Jesus story, this is the beginning. And is there something in here we can learn in light of our brokenness, our edges, and our scars? Well, the first thing that I notice is that the new is all about what you see. The new that we experience, the new we long for, is all about what we have the capacity to see or to notice. Can I tell you one of the things I love about Jesus in this story? He sees things that other people don't see. He notices things that other people don't notice. The first verse here says Jesus is standing by the lake. We notice the Sea of Galilee. He's standing by a big lake. The language there tells us he's been hanging out there for a while. He's standing by this lake, and it says, a crowd was pressing in on him. So picture this. The crowd is there. They're jostling. They're pushing. They're fighting to get to the front. What do you think Jesus notices? What would you notice when you look out at a crowd pressing in? Now, it's important to recognize anytime you read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Picture it like a drama in real life. And if you were going to cast the different characters, you would, you would think about how you would cast them. Understand this. The crowds in the Gospels are a recurring character. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's not just individual people. The group itself keeps coming back. And let me tell you this. It's important to understand. The difference between the way Jesus sees and the way I see. When the crowds are in the story throughout the Gospels, they are rarely, if ever, a positive character. Do you understand what I'm saying? Most of the time in the Gospels, the crowds are actually in the way. At best, they're in the way. Sometimes they're outright hostile. Just one chapter before, Jesus preaches his New Year's sermon, and they try to throw him off the cliff when they're done. Please don't do that to me. I may deserve it, but don't do that. Jesus, is, they're going to kill him. And you know, at the end of the gospel, that's what they say, crucified. Sometimes they're hostile. But I would argue most of the time, most of the crowd is just kind of in the way. Because the only reason they're there is what I call casual curiosity. There's something going on. There's a guy out making some noise. We're going to go out and listen to what he's saying. Jesus himself will tell them, for example, after he does the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. He said, you're not coming out to me because you want to hear the word of God. You're coming out because your stomachs are full and now you're empty and you want to come again. So understand this. If I'm standing in a crowd that's pressing in on me at the edge of a lake, I want to get out. Because the crowds here are not positive. I don't see the possibility in the crowd. But that's the difference between Jesus and me, one of many. I love what he sees when he sees this crowd. I picked this. I usually preach out of the NIV. But I like the way that the translation of the new RSV here, because this is what it says. Jesus was standing beside the lake, and the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God. Now, let me be clear. I don't think all of them consciously were doing that. I think that's what Jesus saw. In other words, sometimes they're just coming to see what's going on. Some of them, as you know, are coming to trap Jesus. They're not listening for anything. Here's, listen to me. Here's what I love about Jesus. He can look at any crowd and see beyond whatever superficial reason brought us here, and he sees into the hunger of our hearts. 
He looks at a crowd, and what he sees is not just a crowd of people for all sorts of stupid reasons to be around or good reasons. He sees hungry hearts. They were pressing in, not just to get there or to be opponents or curious or whatever. That might have been true, but Jesus looked beneath that and he said, you know what I see? People who need a word from the one who made us. You talk to folks, serenity is a good word in the recovery community, isn't it? If you talk to folks in 12-step recovery, the first thing they'll tell you is if you want to experience new and authentic life, what you've got to do, what you've got to do is cultivate a heart that is hungry for what? A higher power than you. And Jesus saw that these people, whether listen to me, whether they knew it or not, were hungry for a power bigger than themselves. Don't you want for a moment to think that we can go in, not just to the new year, but a new decade, not living on our own juice? I don't know about you, but I can't sustain the kind of life I want to live on my own power. So Jesus says, what I love is I'm looking at a crowd, and in a crowd, for whatever reason you're here, he's going to look beneath me. You're just coming because it's Sunday, man. You're coming. That's because what we do. No, Jesus says, hold on, you're hungry. And here's the great thing. Jesus notices any hungry heart, he sits down and he speaks right into it. Isn't that glorious? So here's just a thought. Here's a thought. What if we said at the beginning of not just a new year, but a new decade, we're going to ask God to cultivate in us a hungry heart? Would you help me, Jesus, to see what you see in me when I'm standing in the crowd? Because I don't even see what I really need. In fact, here's, here's a thought. I'm just going to give you a couple ways to do this. You've already heard some others. We're going to be fasting and praying for our new shepherds. But what do we think about, guys, we're entering a new decade. Here's a couple simple things to do. I challenge you, invite you. Sometime today, <clears throat> at some meal today, take 30 seconds in silence. So everybody's praying or they're not praying or whatever. You do lunch, you do dinner. 30 seconds in silence. I dare you to pray this prayer. God, show me what I really need to be hungry for. You see me. You know me. What? Listen to this. Ask him this. I believe God answers prayer. Ask him, what do you want for my school? What do you want for my family? What do you want for our church? What are you hungry for in the community? What are you hungry for in the workplace? I Take 30 seconds. So be quiet and listen. All right, let me up it up just a little bit. I challenge you to skip one meal this week. Just skip a meal. I did it this week without even thinking about it. I was working on something. It was 3 in the afternoon, and I had forgotten to eat lunch. Now, I don't often forget to eat. I'm just telling you. But I forgot this week. What if you just skip one meal? You're not impressing God. I'm not talking about that. But here's what we learn from the ancient folks. We pray with our whole body. This is what I love about you guys. You teach us to worship with our whole being. Well, what if we did it with our body? What if we say, I'm going to start a new year. It's important enough to start a new decade hungry for what God wants. So here's the thing. When I'm hungry at that meal, I'm going to say, God, can you turn that physical thing that I do naturally into what I can't do naturally, which is hunger for the things you want for my heart, my school, my work, my family, my community. Just a thought. Uh, those are in the Bible class that I teach on Sundays. We'll hear about this guy a lot. Some of you have already heard. There's a guy named Pastor Johnson. Have anybody heard of this guy? Pastor Shadanka Johnson. He is a missionary church planter in Sierra Leone, Africa. Started in two, 2005, the way he'll tell his story is that he did his work on his own power. And he had some influence over 10 or 12 churches at that time. And then he said, I'm surrendering, and I'm going to bank on two things, the Holy Spirit and a Bible. <laughs> Holy Spirit and God showing up in Scripture 
and now they have influence over thousands and thousands and thousands of churches, and a lot of people won't even know who he is, because it's about God, not about him. You know how they started this week? And there's a whole movement called New Harvest Ministries. It's all over Africa. Thousands and thousands of people are coming to Christ. In fact, so many people are giving their life to Christ. They're coming back here to do mission work here because we're getting lifeless. Do you know how they start their year? The whole first week of January, they fast all during the day. At night, they come together and eat and pray. They fast during the day, eat and pray. And here's, they got to do this, by the way, because this guy's, they tried to kill him more times than you can count. So before they go into New Year, first they pray for protection, then they pray for their hunger. It's not to impress God, you understand? They're saying, we want to be as hungry for Africa as you are. What if we took one meal, guys, to say, will you make us hungry for Franklin? I'm excited. We got a nice, bright, shiny new building. I don't care if we don't do anything with it for the people that need Jesus. So can we get hungry and say, God, would you align our hearts for what burns in your heart? The new always begins with what you see. And I love that Jesus sees hungry hearts. So can we offer ours to him in that way? Second thing I notice about this story that I just I love about this. The new always breaks out. It's almost comical. The new always breaks out in personal spaces. What do I mean by that? Jesus does about 20,000 things all at the same time. So understand, he's working with the crowds. He's doing ministry here. But there's a group of other folks that he's really concerned about too. And really the story is focused on his work with them. Peter, James, and John we know are the core disciples of Jesus. I've read this story, guys, a thousand times. And I didn't notice it until this the last month and a half studying this text. And I realized, do you picture what's going on? Jesus is doing like God stuff, right? He's on the beach and he's doing God stuff with all this crowd of people. Where are his closest followers? And don't say they haven't been called yet. I know they get called in this story. They're already following Jesus. You can go see this in the book of John, but you don't have to leave the book of Luke. Right before this, Jesus does a long day of ministry, and he's got to go home and rest. Where's his home base? Anybody remember? Simon Peter's house, and he heals Simon Peter's mother-in-law while he's there. They're all, hear me, this is really important. They're already on the team. They're already members of the church. You hear me? All right, so watch. Jesus is doing God's stuff. And what are Peter and James and John doing while Jesus is doing God's stuff? I'm not picking on them. Just, did you know? What are they doing? You can talk. What are they doing? They're fishing. They're working. Now, it's not bad necessarily to do that. But I was literally picturing this. Like, Jesus is impacting lives. And, and when that happens here, we've got shepherds and we've got prayer people. We've got folks that will surround you. Right? They're looking for when something happens and they'll come and talk to you. Is that what Peter, James, and John are doing? No, Jesus is doing God stuff on the beach, and they're cleaning their nets. I'm not picking on them. I'm just saying that they're doing what they do. Now, isn't this awesome about Jesus? The new will break out in your personal space. Like, Jesus isn't content just working with the crowds. It's not about just counting numbers, getting people into the kingdom. He's going to get into your personal space, too, in the church. Those folks that are already on the team, he's going to get all up in your business. Because check it out what he does. It's almost funny. Don't just kind of read it like a holy book. It is, but understand the story. Jesus is teaching. They're pressing in on him, and he doesn't have this. He doesn't have a podium. He needs a podium. He looks over, and what does he see? You can talk. He sees a boat. And look, here, this is really cool. What does he do? He gets in it. Does he ask? 
No, it, it's kind of funny. Jesus is talking. There's a boat over there. They're working. He climbs into Peter. Then he asks him, hey, Peter, what would you, he worked all night. <laughs> Peter's got work to do. And Jesus, listen to this. Oh, he pulls him into his work. In his boat. He gets in his boat. And he says, why don't you come out here and do this? Isn't it kind of cool? Listen, watch this. Jesus does it all the time. He doesn't ask. He jumps it. There's really kind of weird stories. Look in Luke chapter 22. They got to eat the Passover. Last Passover meal he's going to eat. Jesus says, go into town. Look for a dude carrying a water jar. Follow him. I promise it's in the Bible. Follow him. Go into his house and ask for the guest room. That's where we're going to eat the Passover. What? <laughs> Just go on up in the guy's house. Sit down in Peter's boat. Go in the dude's guest room. My favorite one. Luke 19. They're about to go into the capital city in Jerusalem. And, and Jesus says, he sends two disciples in. He says, all right, there's going to be a donkey there. Untie the donkey and take it. He's going to do this little, we don't have time for this, a symbolic act. Go take the donkey. And I love this line. If anybody asks, <laughs> what are you doing? Tell them the master needs it. What? This is kind of cool. I, I just asked David, I was thinking about you. Every time we pull in here, I see this car. I call it orange. It's not. What is it, David? It's like red or something. And I think it's a Mitsubishi, I mean, a Maserati, it's not, but it's like an actor. Have you seen this, a really nice car that's in our parking lot every time we pull in? You know what I'm talking about? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go out, after we do the ministry fair, please go out and take the car. Do it, and by the way, if somebody happens to ask you, tell them Patrick needs it. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? Just tell them one of the shepherds, they just kind of need it for some bit. Isn't this crazy? What's going on here? Jesus is going to get up in your space. He's going to climb in your boat. He's going to take your car. He's going to come into your guest room and he's going to sit down. Now listen to me. He's not an ogre. You can kick him out. Right? You can kick him out. You can ask him to leave and he will. But I'm telling you, here's a promise you can bank on coming to the new year. A lot of things I don't know that will happen. Uh, the church through the ages has called the season that starts tomorrow, Epiphany. I tell people all the time, you don't have to do that to be a Christian or whatever, but we can learn from the people to do. You know what Epiphany is about? You know what Epiphany is. The light is coming on. Here's the promise of Epiphany, but more important, this text. Let me tell you this, you can bank on it. God will show up in 2020. In, hear me, your life in really personal ways. I'm not talking about just in church. I'm talking about Jesus is going to climb in your boat and he ain't going to ask. He's going to grab your donkey. He's not going to ask. He's going to come into your guest room and sit down. He's not going to ask. What you do in that moment is up to you. But I promise you, he will show up. There'll be a prompting. There'll be an idea. There'll be a ministry fair opportunity. There'll be something where you know that's not just you. God is calling for it. Jesus will show up personally in your space i had a cool connection with our daughter uh th earlier this week she went to atlanta anybody heard of the passion conference Sixty-five thousand college students fill up a lot of falcon stadium to worship god and to hear sermons <laughs> for like two days and they bring in the new year that way and they live uh you know webcast it so i thought it'd be kind of cool on new year's when i'm usually watching other stuff at our house, we had that streaming. Christine was there. My mother and sister in Virginia were watching it too. We were all together worshiping, bringing the New Year's. Kind of cool. 
But I was watching, and there was a guy named Ravi Zacharias who spoke. Have you heard of this guy? Anybody heard of this guy? Uh, he's in his 70s now. God uses this man powerfully to talk to people about evidences, reasons to believe. He's written books on it, all that kind of stuff. But I'd never heard this part of his story. He gave his testimony there. You remember that, Tini? Um, he, got, he said, look, 71 years old, I think. He said, I'm going to be honest with you. When I was 17 years old, I tried to take my own life. Now, remember, he grew up in India. He doesn't know anything about Jesus. He doesn't have anything to do with Jesus. He is destitute in his life. He almost kills himself. He's sitting in a hospital room, 17-year-old in India, and who walks in but a woman with this book? She gives it to him. Over 50 years ago, he still remembers the verse she read. You know what she read? She didn't know what she was doing. She just came in the room. You know what she read? Jesus predicting that he was going to die, but he would not stay dead. In the book of John, this is what he said. Because I live, you also will live. <laughs> because I live, you also will live. And that one sentence of Jesus changed this guy's life for 17 years old. So now countless numbers of people have been touched by the ministry of Ravi Zacharias. But it all happened because Jesus showed up all up in his personal space. He said, I want to read his words, not mine. If I can find it, I have no idea where I'm on my notes. He said, who would have believed that the creator of the universe would care enough to show up in a hospital room for a 17-year-old boy in, Indi in, in India? Who would have believed he would have shown up in that hospital room? Who would have believed he'd show up in a fisherman's boat? And in the middle of the street, the guy who owned that donkey, and the dude that had the house, and in whatever personal thing that matters most to you, he will show up not just in what you love, watch me, he will show up in your brokenness, right where you are. And that's where Jesus will come, and that's where he will be. I promise you, Jesus will come and show up in your life and it'll be really personal and really new, unique to you. The only question is, what am I going to do with him? The new always comes in really personal spaces. So what do we do at the beginning of a new year with a God who shows up? What do we do? I, I tell you, I've used this image before, but it's so simple, it's so important. What do you do? It all begins with one step. All begins just with one step. Jesus says, the whole new thing that I have for you, not just the messes that you make of your life, the whole new thing I've got for you starts with one movement in my direction. Let me just say this at the beginning so nobody thinks otherwise. I'm not talking about work salvation. Can we get over that? You're in. He loves you. Now what? <laughs> I want to stop making that mess. Now what? Jesus says, move my direction. I'm here. I'm in your boat. Don't kick me out move towards it all begins with one step and isn't it marvelous how he does it what does he do with a fisherman he says all right peter i'm done with my sermon to these guys now i'm doing my real work let's go i love this this language let's go out into deep water man and he said fish right there just take it in for a moment the preacher the carpenter tells the fisherman where to fish now, it doesn't quite say it here, but I promise you, Peter's thinking, dude, I didn't tell you how to make a chair. <laughs> I didn't write your sermon for you, man. Don't tell me where to fish. I know he's thinking that. I love the way one scholar puts it when he says, think about this. What Jesus asked him to do, this isn't just historical. You've got to think about this because God's going to do some cool stuff. 
he told him to do something that was the wrong time, in the wrong place, and the wrong situation. What do I mean by that? In that culture, when you're fishing, it's the wrong time. Fishermen know that now. They fished all night, and in the early morning, Jesus preached through all that. Now it's a hot part of the day. Let's go fishing. No. <laughs> Experienced fishermen know that's the wrong time. Wrong place on the Sea of Galilee. Not to go out in the deep waters for the kind of fish they're looking for. They're close to the shore, out middle, out in the middle way. Experienced fishermen know that. Jesus says, no, go to the wrong place <laughs> and fish there. The part I hadn't thought about before. Scholar says, wrong situation. Now think about this. For anybody like me, I don't like being embarrassed, especially for a lot of people, right? They've done this all night. There's a crowd there. Do you think they went home? It's Jesus. Like, he's going to do something. They're hanging out, and Peter's, listen to me, he's failed all night long. So let's go fail again in a place that's even worse than you failed at before. Let's go out here. And don't you, it's the wrong situation. Peter's got to do this in front of everybody. And I'm telling you, I wept when I read these words. It all begins with one step. Peter says, dude, wrong place, wrong time, wrong situation. Hear me, hear me, hear me. It's because you said so. I read it the other day. Sometimes reading it in different translations means something. I read it in the literal word-for-word -word Greek, and this is what it says. Put it up there. Hear it. At your word. I'll take a step. At your word, I'll do it. And, and the Greek is really strong in this. It tells us there is no earthly reason to do it other than the fact it came out of Jesus' mouth. At your word. You can pick on Peter all you want. He blows it. But here's where he gets what it means to be a disciple. It makes no sense in the world. You show up. You work in my heart. You do all this stuff. And then you tell me to do something nuts. And he gives them 25 reasons why not to do it. And then he said, but, 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 but. At your word, you take a step and do it. I'm telling you, God's going to show up this year. And quite likely, he's going to invite you to do something nuts. I'm not talking about like going to Africa or something. It, it'll be something that makes no sense. It'll be something that you don't think you have the strength or power to do. It'll be something that you don't think you can courageously jump into. And I'm telling you, can we cultivate? I'm praying for it. Because I, I have a hard time. I want to stay in the casual observer crowd. Can we cultivate in 2020 and in the decade to come a spirit that says, at your word, Jesus, we're going. Because when that happens, do you see what happens in the story? He falls down his face in wonder of how God shows up. Here's my promise. If we just go when he says to go in very personal and unique ways, you're going to see the power of God in ways you never saw him before. Now listen, it, that's personal too. Do you get that? He shows up in a big pile of fish for a fisherman. By the way, this would not work for me. I don't care about that. If you want to amaze me and make me fall down on my feet, get the Dallas Cowboys to a Super Bowl this century, and I will be in wonder. I'm just telling you, being honest. I'm joking, not totally. But what I'm saying is, he's going he's gonna to do it personally to you. Fish amazed a fisherman. They, it says, when they saw the catch of fish, they were astonished. You want to be astonished at what God's willing to do? We sit in the safe place so often. I do. I don't know about you. I do. Hear me. I used to think obedience, taking that step of faith out, is about earning something before God. It's not. Watch this. When I take that step, all it's doing is it's putting me in a place to experience the power 
of the one who told me to go there. Do you understand what I'm saying? Let me say that again. All obedience is, taking that one step is, is putting me in a place to experience the power of the one who told me to go there. Because he knew when Peter went there in this impossible situation, then he would see the wonder and glory of God. I promise you, if you're willing to go to whatever places he takes you and give him whatever you've got to give, you will be astonished at what he'll do with one little step. Now I'm going to end with this. I know I've got to land this plane, so I'm going to end with this. If you are like me and Peter and anybody who sees God in Scripture, you will say, no way. You really know me. I mean, we all look good. You look really good up here. But I know inside you are just as much a mess as I am. No, you're not. I'm more of a mess. But we're all a mess here. We're, we all come in like this. And here's the thing. For anybody in Scripture who really encounters God, God's always there. But anybody in Scripture who really encounters God, the first thing to do, God shows up, they fall down. <laughs> God shows up, they fall down. Why? There is something in the human heart that says, when I really see God, I get it that you really see me. And when I get that God really sees me, what that tells me is, you don't belong where I am. Well, I don't belong where you are. Does that make sense? Do you hear what Peter said? Get away from me, Jesus. Because I was just playing game. I'm just playing with my nets and doing that. But all of a sudden, I saw that you are God, and you're coming into my boat and my personal space. You need to get away, because I have no business being where you are. And thanks be to God, he said the words he says again and again and again, fear not. Because Peter, think about this, Peter, he said, I'm going to take the very thing you think disqualifies you from being in my presence, and I'm going to use your brokenness, and I'm going to use your scars, and I'm going to use your pain to be part of the vehicle that will actually bring other people to experience this astonishing wonder of Jesus. Do you see that? That's what our God does. That's what our God does. Working on this, I was pretty much done, and there was a guy this week that gave me the image that brought all this together for me. Uh, it, it would be even more powerful. It's his story to tell. I can't. But guy, seven, eight years ago, no, nine years ago, kind of blew up his life. The way he describes it was self-inflicted wounds. I get that. And God has done a remarkable work in his life, transforming him in so many ways. On his desk, he has a symbol for the power of God to do that. And it's a kind of art, Japanese art, some of you may have heard before. It's called kintsuji. Kintsuji, it's a word that means golden joining. In other words, what he says is, what they do, what do you do if you dropped a pot and it broke like this? Let's be honest, what do we do with this? You can say it. What do we do? We throw it away. Not the Japanese. What do they do? They find brokenness like this, they take brokenness like this, and with this beautiful art, a master in Kintsuji will take glue and they mix it with a gold alloy and they put it back together so that what starts out looking like this ends up looking like that. Isn't that incredible? The, the very places of brokenness that took an average ordinary jar, now with the master's hands it comes together and those pieces of art are unlike any other artwork in the world. And then he said something I'll hold on to forever. He's describing it to me. And this is what he said. He said, Dean, don't you get it? Don't you get it? Here's the thing. He said, the scar is the beauty. The scars are the beautiful part of the work. It is the very places of brokenness that make it shine. And, and Jesus is saying to Peter, don't you realize, isn't this true? All the people that will fall on their face and fail a thousand times are going to find hope in your story, Peter. Because it's not about Peter. 
It's about the master who takes all those broken shards and edges and scars in your life and weaves it into something gloriously beautiful from here on out. What if you said, 2020 and the decade to come, I'm bringing it all to him. Whatever I've got, I'm going to put it in the hands of the one who made me, knowing that he will weave it together in such a way. Even our community's lives, as broken as it is, can become a vehicle where other people will experience the new life of Jesus. That's our prayer, Father God. Would you please come right in the middle of our brokenness and our pain and our scars and our wounds that we have received and the ones we've inflicted? Would you compel us to trust that when you show up in weird and crazy ways and invite us to do weird and crazy things to follow you and trust you? Whether it's a ministry fair today, someone might be led to a booth there, a table there. Some might be led to discipleship experience or something like that. Father, would you lead us to the next step you want us to take, trusting that you will make beauty out of it. In the glorious name of Jesus, we pray.